Um, yeah, Michael, we're going to, because we've got so much fucking happening at the moment, we're going to do like big MotoGP wrap-ups. We do, and especially, doesn't. Especially considering you, you're not, you know, a weekly attendee, we figured we could spread it out a little bit more for you. That was the contract I signed. I um, made it quite clear at the start of this venture that I would not be able to make every pod, so I do my best. So we've adjusted <laughs> for that. Here's a fun, here's, here's, here, this will be the funny part. If in like five years' time this pod starts making money, will Michael then jump on and be there every week to cash in? <laughs> pay as you play, boys. Pay as you play. It's like the Michael Owen Man United contracts. I like that. It was a successful contract for Big Mickey. Yeah. Eh? Well, what right, are we we're going to Supercars or F1? Right, we're going to start with F1. So, so, boys, episode twenty-seven of the pod. Welcome. Thanks have, yep. Thanks for having you all seven. on. Twenty-seven, eight. We've done half a year of the pod. More than half a year because we haven't podded every week. So, we're, there's a little. But also, bit of, we're doing double ups at one stage. Yeah, it's true. We've got a bit of traction, so that's 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 good news. But we'll start with the Formula One. So, um, race two of the season. It's crazy that the season has. You know, we were anticipating it for so long and then all of a sudden it's not just one race. We've had two races over two weekends and really what a start to the season we've had. Um, so we won't really, if you haven't watched the race, I suggest jump onto your KO or to your Fox Sports and watch a KO or Fox Mini. Uh, get the race in. Again, not the opportune time to start um, a race meet for us people in Australia, but you know, it always makes what I was thinking about today, all those poor Italians that wait for this or the Europeans that wait for the season to start. And then they have to watch it at this, you know, crappy hour when we start out seasons in Australia. I know week. I get it. I get it. But we kind of, we're spoiled <laughs> in the European sense that sport? we, we're not spoiled, spoiled. in the sense that we get to anticipate like, you know, the season and then we get to watch it in our time and make a day of it and stuff like that. So I, I, uh, that, that's bullshit. They can travel to every single race and they're like two hours much. away from everything. Shut up. They much. can, they can do one. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm saying for us, it's like, like we, I don't, like, I don't think I appreciate it enough that the first race was in Australia and we didn't have to, mm. you know, you could watch it without any issues and stuff like that. Whereas the last two races, it's like, no, got to go to work. Let's I got up at 4am this morning. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not going to do that. Four o'clock. Um, anyway, so first race of the se- second race of the season, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, another interesting track. But unlike last year, I think this this week's racing, or you know, last night's racing, put on a spectacle with the new cars. I have to say that. So just a recap for those who might not have watched it: um, the Max, the race was won by Max Verstappen after a really good late race battle with Charles Leclerc, who finished in second. Third went to um, Carlos Saints, fourth to Perez, fifth to George Russell. And then after that, there was a smattering of all the, the mid-table teams, which was, you know, really good to see as well. So, boys, where do we start? Let's just jump straight into the into the talking points. Let's just talk about Max and Carlos. Not sorry, Carlos, Max and Charles, I think. Where else yeah, do you, you want to begin? begin? All right, let's go. Um, I did you get a haircut, that... did you? Yeah, why? It's all right. Skin That's fade it. and, and top, tough top. I think tired, you copied my haircut a bit. You Tara copied my it. haircut. It's a home. It's a home job. But you copied my haircut, didn't you? No, I didn't. I just got a haircut. That's what haircuts are. All right, keep um, going with Carlos, mate. Obviously, I Charles. think um, 
I think it was a really good race, to be honest. Like it was, it was an interesting race. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Um, a lot of action. I mean, the front was probably the place where there was the least action. Um, it's. I mean, it's cool that we have two Ferraris and two Red Bulls that are um, competitive. I feel a bit sorry for Checo because the cards just didn't fall for him this race. He sort mm. of got stuck with that um, with that uh, pit stop just before the TV's crash, which sort of ruined his his assault on the front. But um, other than that, I mean, we definitely, come, like I said, I want to see what happens this race in terms of setting up a hierarchy of teams. And 100% we have Ferrari and Red Bull, and then we have everyone else after that because, I mean, until we get to Europe and we see some um, major um, upgrades on cars, I mean, having said that, Mercedes did bring a major change to the um, back wing of that car for this this round. Um, they didn't seem to give them any more top speed, I'll tell you that. No, it didn't. They still, they, they're still definitely, um, well, they're complaining that they just don't have the downforce. Uh, and they've got the, porp- the porpoising issue still. But in terms of this race, we, we definitely saw that it's going to be a dogfight between uh, Ferrari and um, Red Bull. And I'm just interested to see now how badly that double you know, DNF last week is going to hurt Red Bull in the long run, to be honest. Because if it's going to be this close all year, then, um, then that race betting could be costly, really. Yeah, I, I think it's I think probably the most interesting consideration that we need to be aware of early in the season is until we get back to Europe, um, I don't think that's when we're going to see all these upgrades coming to the car. You know, I was listening to the post-race, um, the F1 post-race show today, and it might have been Pietro Fittipaldi who was saying that because there's so much information that's being learned every week, it's really hard for the teams to bring small upgrades because what they're trying to do is, you know, gather a lot more information and then have an upgrade package that's going to kind of take all of that into consideration. And because there's still so much learning happening with this new generation of car, um, he doesn't expect there to be uh, really any significant development to the cars until around race five. Um, so that, that's an interesting consideration. And it's obviously because it's such a new concept uh, that, you know, there's still a lot of validation that's happening. Um, so I think that's really where the season will begin. We'll probably be a little bit like F1 used to be in the nineties where you kind of, once the season in Europe starts, that's when you'll see the the big upgrade begin. Um, but I found that quite interesting. What did you um, guys think of the way that the um, drivers are attacking that last uh, DRS zone? And we sort of had a few occasions of drivers playing silly buggers, trying to stay sort of behind a car that they were, clear on passing just to get the the drag down the straight. I mean, we saw it with <laughs> the Alpines were putting on a show for us at the start of that race, which I thought was real real cool. But, I mean, in terms of um, being a team mind. principal, uh, you, wouldn't be, you didn't mind it? I don't mind it because it's still, it's still like tactics. It's still strategy. It still kind of is an element to the racing. If you watch other... Like, for example, if you're watching NASCAR or IndyCar, particularly on oval racing, it's definitely not a new concept that you don't want to pass for the lead too early for fear of being passed back in in opportune time. All, so, I, all I would say is maybe they push the DRS line further up the straight so mm-hmm. that there's not as much, you know, um, jockeying into that last corner and sort of messing that, around. Because it, it, it looks like it could be a, 
safety hazard as well. Like if, if you get more than two cars, yeah. pretty sure that there. where that detection zone is is already a like that whole straight before the detection zone is already a DRS zone. <laughs> So yeah, well, the, the detection zone is on that, is on yeah, the yeah. Um, so corner. Yeah, so as as they go around that corner, just before they hit the the corner, is the detection yeah. zone. But that's straight to get to that detection zone is a DRS zone as well. As well, yeah. I was. Can I just ask? Um, excuse any ignorance. Um, D- DRS isn't new, obviously. Um, so I was trying to wrap my head around. Um, I suppose what was so different about it this year. Um. It, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it to do with the fact that um, there are more opportunities to, to take over, or because I was saying something at the end about the fact that you can you can follow more easily now? So someone just want to clarify that for me, if that's okay. Yeah. So DRS has been around since what? 2011, I think. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. Um, the the whole point of going to the ground effect car was so these cars could follow each other easier, um, and we've seen in the first two races already where. Cars have overtaken, and in the previous regulations, once that car overtook, the the overtaken car couldn't hold follow. on to the couldn't follow. Whereas now, because they are able to follow, like look at Charles and Max, they're constantly yep. battling each other, and that yep. did, you know that DRS is definitely aiding that. And I, I don't I don't know what you guys think, but do you think we still? Obviously, it's early days, but do you think we still need the DRS zones? Yeah. I think the DRS zones are always going to add a bit of spice, but maybe just short, like especially like because like, that straight is so long. Like it wasn't really a problem on the other straight, but that, that last straight is so long and it's so early that you get a kick and the other driver literally has nothing he can do to defend it. But then what happens is then that guy's following for the rest of the lap and then they get to that same spot. And um, we saw it over and over again, sort of cars, um, both locking up because I don't want to get in front for that DRS <laughs> detection zone. And just like after a little while, it just sort of looks a bit novel. And and then if you had three cars there, it would also probably get a bit dangerous. Do you know what? I Like the DRS works and probably work, it probably worked better in the past where the cars were more aero dependent from the top, but it still seems to be working effectively on these tracks where you can reach top speeds, obviously. However, it looks more novel than, say, push to pass in IndyCar. And I don't know if Formula One is at a stage now where, like, and they probably won't purely because they don't want to be the same as IndyCar, but push to pass rather than being able to overtake, you know, every lap if you're within that detection zone. What it allows the attacker to do is to make a move if they want to, but it allows the defender to defend more effectively as well. And then it's more about managing that resource over the course of the race as opposed to if you're within that particular range. Um, so I don't know if that's a consideration that F1 might need to be aware of moving forward, but I think that it might be a, because I think particularly when now that the cars can travel more closely, we're going to see a lot more back and forth DRSing and that should be the case, but is that going to make it seem more like a gimmick as opposed to in the past being able to actually get within the DRS zone? was still you know, a pretty good achievement because of the inability to follow in the watch of the car. Um, but does it become a bit too gimmicky now that you can literally get overtaken and then move right back behind the car and, and then make a move again yourself? It's funny um, you say that because that was like actually my, the question that I was going to raise with you. Like if, if the whole point of the new regulations for aerodynamics of the cars was to ensure that cars can get past and like you said, Harry, follow 
more easily, doesn't that in a way almost nullify the need for DRS? Like, oh, don't get me wrong, I found it fantastic the fact that there was this layer of strategy that was affecting every single lap, particularly um, at the end, like you said, Joe, the two Alpine cars, that was pretty cool. Um, but does it almost nullify the need for it? Probably not. Oh, sorry, H. I, I think this track is a little bit of an, an anomaly because there is so many DRS zones and they're so close together. I think if you go somewhere like Spa or somewhere like that where you've got you know, you go through Eruge and then you hit the DRS zone, but then there's not another one until the back end of the mm. the lap. I don't think it's going to have such a big effect, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, You'll probably so see it mainly on this track then. and on Baku, really. Mm. Um, I mean, these tracks sort of are built with these massive straights. Maybe um, Melbourne now. I, I will say this, though. We we only, only saw Jeddah a couple of months ago because it, it was at the back end of last season. And... The race this uh, yesterday, sorry, was was miles more into like was the the amount of entertainment I got from the two races was night and day. There was I don't know if you if you just put that down to a win for Formula One, um, with the new car, but in terms of like I really wasn't interested in watching this race, and the end product that we got was was far um sort of far exceeded my expectations. Uh, what did you guys think about that? Or did that even so, cross your mind? Oh, sorry, before I push on with that, can I just make this point as well? Because it's literally stuck in my head. No, you can't. Um, all right. Well, I, to answer <laughs> your question then, I thought <laughs> no, the, the product was awesome. Um, I was just thinking this, just to, to parry back on the conversation that we were having before about the DRS and, and whatnot, right? Do you think that particularly on, like, for example we're racing on a new track where it's very high speed. A lot of the new street circuits are high street, high speed. Does the fact that the cars are able to go so fast, like is that, is that maybe a new strategy within formula one to promote overtaking, to have these high speed tracks where the DRS does become a lot more um, effective because rather than having to slow down, go to the lower gears and then come back up, you're kind of keeping cars at higher speeds throughout. And then the second um, point that I was going to make in response to Michael's question was about um, with the need for DRS anymore, with the cars becoming like with there being so much parity now between or trying to develop some level of convergence in the field without DRS, do we still have the same issue where um, people are able to follow really closely, but because again, we're racing on, you know, really smooth tracks and F1 cars don't really have a hole, not really punching a hole through the air to get a massive slipstream. Does that kind of just, if without DRS, would we have kind of a procession still? I, I found it really um, like even just from last year and from, for someone who's not too experienced in watching um, Formula One in, in recent years, I mean, I quickly noticed how, you know, how much of a co competition um, a pass was. It wasn't just like pass and disappear. And I suppose that's the whole point of the new regulations. But I picked up on it straight away. So I guess the only reason why I was uh, I was asking whether it's needed or not was because if the aerodynamic changes are doing what they're intended to do, which they clearly are, based on what we've seen first two races, and and it's it's kind of made the racing more pure in a sense. Um, that was why I kind of raised it. But I did think 
that the fact that there was a, a zone, like Harry said, there was a DRS zone heading into that back hairpin, and then also on the main straight, it, 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 you know, I found it really interesting to see how Verstappen kind of adapted to, okay, instead of passing him heading into the hairpin, I'm going to wait. It just, it just added an element of like unpredictability, I think, um, which made it interesting. But at the same time, like, it, you know, could he, could, could it have been achieved without it anyway? Like, I don't know. I just thought that was a, that was just a question that popped up um, into my head as I was watching it. Like I said, to the untrained eye. Give these um give these car designers two years to mess around with these new body shapes, and I reckon we'll come up. They'll find new and interesting ways to achieve downforce on the outside of the car, and we'll have disrupted air in two years' time, and we'll need them again. So don't get rid of them yet. <laughs> Do you think that the form, that the FIA will be more um how can I say it? Will they be more conscious of the fact that they want to keep it? Um, the FIA have already said that if if they see a car or a, or a design that kind of isn't within the spirit of the rules that they said, uh, that oh. they have set, they will kind of say that it's you're not allowed to run that particular yeah, part. He, so here's, here's one thing that I think actively is... policing um, designs so that they stay within the spirit of the rules. Not, one not thing, so they can't really get a loophole. One thing I think is interesting is when they say stay within the spirit of the rules, like mm-hmm. we already know that within the first iteration inter- inter- of of cars, they didn't foresee Mercedes running those neg- negligible side pods. So I think in a way as well, their eyes have been open to just how, I mean, they've always, they always know how cluey these team, uh, these car sort of designers and aerodynamicists are. But I think as well, going forward, they're going to have to be, a lot more, um, not stringent, but they're going to have to be a lot more aware of just how creative these people are if they want um, the designers to keep to the, adhere to the spirit. Because, I mean, I think Adrian Newey says it all the time, like there's no such thing as spirit of the rules. It's just interpretations and what we can gain from it. So, I mean, expecting a team to adhere to the spirit of F1 and it's going to give them a, a disadvantage is not something that I think we can expect them to do. Well, boys, I've got to I've got to ask this question. So Mercedes were in no man's land this whole race, and listening to Toto Wolf after the race, he was saying that their issue is that they have too much drag on that car. Now, I don't know if I believe it, or I don't know if he's trying to deflect from the fact that that car has got no top end speed at all when you look at it in comparison to the Ferrari and the Red Bull. But for that car that literally has no cross sectional area compared to some other cars that it's racing against to, to be like generating that much drag is an anomaly to me. And then taking into consideration where um, McLaren are and Williams are as well with the Mercedes Martin. engine and Aston Martin, I think that there might be a little bit of deflection going on from Toto um, to what the real problem is for that car. Um, George, says, George says he's got not enough error. Um I mean, one thing that I noticed in that track was well, that makes uh, sense. Doing, but why you're saying they've got um, they've got too much area just now? No, I'm saying that for a car that has literally got like a no cross sectional area, it should be very, um, it should not have a lot of drag, and it should be all aero power, uh, all engine power. Whereas Wolf is saying that they have too much drag on a car that's got literally a zero bodywork. Feature. I would I would think that what's happened is they've rolled out that that engine with um 
Lewis at the end of last year and and we saw a massive step forward and they've probably taken it to the bank that the engine was probably good enough for this year and they've probably devoted a lot of their time into making sort of uh, interesting aerodynamic decisions. I mean, the thing about um, McLaren when you mention is that we know that they were really fast at Catalonia and we don't know if it's just these uh, Middle Eastern tracks and the heat temperature and the brakes that's sort of hampering them. I mean, it's probably going to be more than that as well. But um, any of you listen to Lando Norris's post race today? Yeah. No. What do you say? Scathing. What do you Absolutely say? Absolutely scathing. He said what do you he mean? kind of. He said that the car's still nowhere. He came seventh. He said obviously yeah, but, he was. He's, but he, these I, drivers I know that, saying that. I know. That I understand that. Dude, I understand hearing, that. We're hearing Lewis having a, a, a dummy spit. They're all having dummy spits. Everyone's having dummy spits. I mean, you can't ask drivers what they think of cars because they just always they always want more. I, I mean, genuinely think it's the Merck power unit. I think McLaren haven't maximized the design, <clears throat> but I also yeah. think that these drivers are still f- trying to find setups. Yeah, there's so much. There are so many variables at this stage of the season. I mean, we're racing on 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 like this track is a speedway. I mean, when we come to a slower track, we're going to see mm. probably differences again. Like during the race, we the the way that the, the midfield cars are uh, ordered and how they are running at the start of the race, in the middle of the race, at the end of the race is so different. Um, we've, we've seen all the cars racing against each other, which is awesome. But I think it's too early to really start. Like, here's the thing that, that the Mercedes is faster than every other car except the top, the, the Ferrari and the Red Bull. Like, we know that. I mean, it was, I, was, I was interested seeing sort of Lewis struggle during the race, which was surprising. But George had no problem um, running a quiet race outside the top four. He literally didn't see no one and wasn't sort of challenging anyone. What was fascinating was to watch Mercedes against Haas, just to think about that. And also just to think about how, like Silverstone last year, Hamilton was able to go from a 15-second penalty that put him at the back of the grid and in the middle of nowhere to winning the race, whereas now... But what 18th, we think, he was able, you know, the best he was able to do was to climb to 10th. So that makes what, the racing a lot more intriguing. What we have to remember as well is that Haas literally did nothing to that car last year. They did a Ferrari, but they did nothing last year in terms of that yeah. car. They've been working on the car for longer than a lot of... Yeah, I understand than, that. But like you're still putting them up against the powerhouse team, like with probably the most successful team in Formula 1 history. Yeah, well, I actually found it interesting that K-Mag was was racing so well against I mean Camag himself has has I mean for a guy who hasn't who's just jumped into that car I mean is am I giving him too much props but I, I just keep getting impressed with him these last two weekends they said he might have broken or injured his neck in qualifying I think he was saying that, he that just I said the G force was because he is yeah, not used to it been training. Yeah. Mm. yeah crazy Really Isn't the fact that the the cars um, are able to stay within touching distance of each other almost validate? I know we, I know you're saying it's it's early, but isn't that like what what the regulations, the new regulations, intended to do? Like for me, that that's a way more interesting product. Like the fact that okay, we we have had two races where the front runners have been more or less battling it out, but at the same time, it's like you said, the middle to back of the pack, you know, it's it's kind of anybody's game and. 
I found that way more interesting. 100%. Got a question, H? Yeah, look, we obviously know that Red Bull and Ferrari are the strongest two cars at the moment. Um, we know Mercedes are going to catch up eventually. They're, I think their big upgrade package is going to come, like we said, in Europe. Hopefully their engine package improves. But what do we think about the other teams? You know, we're looking at Alpine, who were, who were looking quite strong all weekend. Ocon must have thought he was back in the racing point. Um, that we've he got... Was. Yeah. Do you know what the best form guide I thought was for the midfield? Hmm. The fact that from fifth onwards, all the teams that were in the midfield had a representation in the top 10. Uh, the only teams that didn't obviously was um, Toro, not Toro, sorry, Alfa Romeo because yeah, uh, Botas had the, had the engine problem. Williams were obviously out of it. And then Aston Martin is still lacking in that regard. But all of those teams, McLaren, uh, Toro Rosso, Alpine, um, who's the other one? They all had, they all had representation in the... In, they all had where, representation in the back of the top 10. I'm going to say this quickly. Um, we were discussing the battle between Mercedes, not Mercedes, McLaren and Ferrari at the end of last year and who was going to get, you know, ahead this year. And I think obviously Ferrari has gotten ahead, but McLaren has, uh, McLaren has dropped well behind, I think, a few other teams at the moment. Like if you look at the Alpine, seems to be a better package at the moment. Debatably, the the um, Alfa Romeo is a better package at the moment, Haas. and even the Haas is a better package at the moment. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, in, for, the, for in... all the for all the talking that McLaren did, they really have to start, um, you know, putting some results in. I'd say. In McLaren's defence, though, without Daniel's retirement, they would have had two cars in the points. Yeah, and but they and, never... and their quality was horrible again. Like outside, they didn't. Neither of them made Q three, but. Daniel was, I think, P nine when he went when he went down. Yeah, but Alonso retired as well, like him. Same thing. Actually, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, right. like, it, they, they all improve. retired on the same lap. They all retired, it, and that 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 change in performance within a week. Yeah, I know what you're I, saying. They they yeah, definitely make the made argument, a step in the one week. You make the argument that, um, yes, Ferrari improved. They took a step, but all, but McLaren, you could make the argument that they stood pat while other teams improved also aided by the new regs that's that's one way of looking at it too mclaren could yep. have just over designed it though like they're running that totally different suspension they might yeah. take a bit longer to um they, they, get they, the yeah, benefits might, from that they might have overcompensated for the fact that they thought that the engine was more competitive too mm-hmm. yeah i mean if you think about anyone in a mercedes engine right now like based off of how like mercedes you know uh, sorry mclaren did a really good job with the renault engine and then they took a visible step when they pretty much put a Mercedes engine in the same car. And then um, that gave them a few tenths and now they've lost any advantage that they had with that car. So, you know, we could, they might have a, they might have a half decent engine, but from what we're looking, what we're seeing with Mercedes, Mercedes obviously doesn't have a good car, but they also don't have a good engine. So they might gain, you know, a significant advantage once that upgrade comes to the Mercedes power unit. Um, So, you know, it's still way too early to tell. Like the thing is, these are so, these cars are so new; they've had some testing. But again, look at look at the um, fatality rates of some of these engines as well. Like these engines and these cars are still having some significant significant teething issues, and it's to be expected. I think until we get back to Europe, um, you know, we're going to see you know a little bit more uncertainty. 
Um, and then once, you know, the upgrades come and teams start getting on top of the, the cars um, with a little bit more information and data, then, you know, we might have a little bit more of a clear pecking order. Um, yeah, but it definitely does make for compelling watching. I think after we go after Monaco and Baku and, um, you know, the first six or seven races are, and we start going in tracks like, you know, Spa and all those old school hungry, all that type of track. I think we're going to see maybe where those developments are going to put these teams at for the rest of the year. Mm, I agree. I agree. Um, Mick? Mick? Oh, well. um, nice little segue there, Harry, because my, the second thing that I was thinking about, I couldn't help but think about as I was watching it and, you know, to not be an, a naysayer in any way because I think these new tracks are, are interesting. That's not you. That's not you. At all. I, I think they're really interesting. <laughs> Obviously, Jeddah is just unbelievable for pace. Um, but I don't know. For me, there's something about racing at night and it might, it might be because I can't see or hear the fans and you haven't got those packed grandstands at these Arab circuits that... Yeah, there were, there were no fans, mate. But I just there's just something about it that just doesn't have, for me, the same soul. Like we talked about last year, we spoke about um, Interlagos and just, you know, and Coda and how you could you could hear the roar of the fans as the car, you know, the car, um, who was it? Whoever made the pass going in, into the first corner, just that roar um, of the fans and the, just the, the old school circuits full of like emotion. I, I don't know, for me, as, as fun as Jetta was, there's just something about those circuits that to me, and it could be because they're at night, the, the races are at night as well. It just, it just seems a little bit soulless to me. So I don't it's know. What do you guys think? The sad thing about these, these Saudi, like Arabic Middle Eastern tracks is that the money for the racing doesn't come from fans and ticket sales. It's not because there's a demand from well, the fans to race there. It comes from sponsorship money. It comes from Aramco. Yeah. It comes from golf. I understand like it comes that. From, we and, we and witnessed that, that firsthand this weekend just, with the old um, missile hitting the freaking yeah. Well, that's that's fuel station. It, they, I don't, there's just something about those circuits. They just look too perfectly manicured and and they just shit, know, it just doesn't have just, that edge. Just it doesn't it, have that shit. edge. It doesn't have the edge to me. And I don't know. I I just don't think you can you can replicate what the other more traditional circuits you, that are packed. What you can't um, involve is is passion and. I mean, what we've got in all of those, a lot of European tracks, a lot of the South America, not a lot of the South, but even the, the Latin tracks as well. Even places quiet. Gone weird, sorry. Sorry. quiet, mate. Sorry. I mean, what, sorry, I was just having a drink before. What you can't replicate is that passion. And with all the European tracks, with all the, um, you know, all the South American tracks where they've raced there in the past as well, even when you look at a place like Coda, Coda, um, as you know, as amazing as the track is, struggled for a number of years developing any kind of fanfare. And it was almost going to be scrubbed off the championship because it was still de- dependent on, you know, ticket sales. A lot of these tracks that we've got to in, survive. <laughs> a lot of these a lot of these tracks that we have in the Middle East though, they're you know purely there because sponsors are paying huge amounts of money to sponsor Formula One. Um, and it's not dependent on ticket sales at all. You know, if people go, it's great, fantastic but it's not really a dependent. So until we get back to some more of those traditional tracks, you won't see that passion, unfortunately. You know what I love about these Arabic tracks? They have, you know, the 10 people in the grandstand that they continuously pass to when something happens on track and it's the same. And they're just like, and it's like, that's the same person you showed us last time. 
Yeah. I've got a controversial question for you guys, actually, about, Go for it. Um, about this weekend. Um, what did you think about the decision to actually race on the weekend after the, um, the uh, what is it, the oil, the oil field bombing? Um, pretty disappointed. Yeah, I was pretty pissed off, mate. I mean, because... I would say if that was if if they were racing in a country close to Russia and, and that happened, they would have been like, "No, nah, we're packing up. We're getting we're getting out of here." It's not even um, that. It's the fact that you can't make a big stance, and uh-huh. you know the FIA made a huge stance saying that Russian drivers couldn't race in pretty much any FIA sanctioned event, and we also know that there's issues in Saudi Arabia and the uh-huh. Middle East that. Are similar to what's happening in Russia right now. We just—it's just not nearly well as televised. But imagine if Russia was a, or you know, the Russian government had you know a company that was financially incentivizing Formula One like like Aramco does. You know, you you'd probably have the same the same situation. And it's just very interesting that it happened so soon. Like Russia, the Russian conflict is still very much at the center of everyone's mind, and for F1 still not to be able to or not to have the balls to to cancel the event kind of shows how deeply uh, the Middle East is in their pocket. It's not even the about having the ball. It's not even about having the balls to it cancel is, the it event. It is about having the if balls. But it, it's if, all if, about if, balls. All they have to say is we only care about money. And if they said we only care about money and then all their decisions were made around money, we'd all understand. But you can't pretend to be to care about other humanitarian issues and then when the first, the first, in uh, the first event happened, oh, sorry, not event, the first chance you have of making of making a stance because you care about these humane um, situations or even the safety of your drivers and teams, you go, yeah, no, nah, we're going to go racing. I mean that that drivers um, meeting went from I think ten at night four to four, four in the morning or something like that. And you know what? Good on the drivers for standing up. What were they because fighting for? Sorry, to they leave. To, to leave. leave. To leave. What Jeddah? Yeah. yeah, because there was a there was a, a um, there was a missile what? attack while they were doing FP three nine Ks on the track. Wow, you know what? You know what? Um, really befuddles me to an extent. If you want to use tell us what word. befuddles you. Um, ob- look, it's what? obviously a Michael's money befuddlements. That should be a second. <laughs> that can be the title of this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, like I get it. I understand. The market, the the market there, and the sponsorship deals. I get it. It's almost as if, in a way, F ones um, they've kind of super leagued themselves. Like that, they see the money there. They obviously ha- have they made the championship longer. Has that has that happened, or is it still the same amount of races? Twenty four championship now. We're at twenty four. Yeah. We're going to go to thirty by the sound of things. Yeah. So I, look, I understand the whole money aspect, and I Which get is that. Ridiculous. Um, I just think, like for me. For me, it's just it's just different. I, I get that, um, but at the same time, you know, ha- has the sport grown? Yes. So, is it is it having some kind of positive effect? Yeah. And if, I suppose it, the more money it brings in, the the more you know, cars can get innovated and things like that. What one other thing that I only noticed this week because I didn't watch race one um, were the winglets on the wheels. Yeah, I did a bit of reading up on onto like what they're intended to do and how, how they create less of this wake that Anthony keeps referring to and things like that. I just, I, I find that looks pretty cool. Um, just from a, 
I think they look crap. I don't know. For me, that was just something different. No. And I don't I know. What do you guys feel sick. about these covers on the wheels? Are you a fan? I'm looking at the McLaren. I just I, I couldn't buy it. Hey, I couldn't because the McLaren is a McLaren is that stupid rainbow color. If you look at this I, um the Alfa Romeo, it looks nice. I love McLaren, but they're becoming <laughs> way too sponsory. Like everything, every single section of that car is open is, is up is up for sponsored. sale. Alfa Romeo look unbelievable. Yeah, the say, Alpha looks that car just looks hot, and so does Alpha Terry. Always looks clean, but Alpha Romeo, holy goodness! Uh, no, nothing comes close to the Ferrari this year, mate. I just want to, I quickly want to just go back to something quickly. We're talking about sort of the um, the missile strike, mm. then we we're sort of discussing about um, the whole Russia thing. Now, I've quickly we've quickly mentioned the push to make it a thirty race season. At the this same time, time, we've we've heard. Teams saying there's no way, like like the, every time they add one race, it's it's making it harder for the teams for the for the teams like um um to survive. Not even no, not the teams to survive, just for their employees just to get people around the employees away from the family. Thirty weeks out of a fifty-two, um, thirty races in a fifty-two uh, week year, plus all the flying around. But even There's, financial outlay, Joe. Like, I mean, it's not even race, that. It's it's it's, it's the money? um the um it's the human aspect of it. Yeah, the human the aspect toll. of it. Yeah, it's the like, human toll. They've got they've got families that these um the mechanics and the drivers have families. We ask them to take more time away from their families. I mean, I've never. Heard, it's weird. Like ten years ago, we had an eighteen round season, and that was fine. I mean, we're slowly pushing up, pushing up. But they're going, oh, we, yeah, we've got. We could have a thirty race season. Why couldn't we just stop it at this and then just in, um, sort of interchange races every year? Do you think um, currently we're looking magnitude? Oh, yeah, I do. Like it takes away that that grandeur of a Grand Prix mm. in a way. If you've got so many, you kind of water them down, don't you? Hundred percent. Like I, I'll I'll admit, last year it got to. I think we had twenty three last year. I think round 22, 23, I started. I was like, no, I'm done. Like, as as good as the end of the season was, I was like, no, nah, this is enough. Do you know what the other well, thing is? Race, hey. Do you know what mm. the other thing is, guys? That that needs to be a part of the championship. There needs to be a physical impact of on a, of a DNF. Yeah. Whereas with the way that the points are structured, you can have a DNF, and after 22 races, you can, if you were to win a significant amount of those races, a DNF doesn't mean anything. Whereas when How you had you an eight. Well, because let's say you come first, you get 25 points. If I come second, I get 18 points. So if if, if you just simply times that by oh, yeah, okay. seven by 20, you know, there's a lot there's a lot more points there than if you were to get a DNF. Whereas if you had an 18 race season like we did in the past, didn't it didn't necessarily mean that your season was over if you lost uh, if you had a DNF, but it definitely had a lot more value. Uh, there was a lot more value per point than there are now because there's so many more points available. Um, and, it, and and again, it waters it down. I think Harry was completely right. By the end of last year, you know, with the way that the, the championship finished, yes, it was exciting. Yes, it was engaging. But gee, it got long in the tooth. I mean, but it got also, long in the tooth. I mean, so also we're looking, here? we're looking you're at saying... a sport that is 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 implementing cost capping, right? We're implementing a cost cap to help more, like help keep the teams funded. And at the same time, we're going to go. Let's add twenty um, percent longer season. So you've got twenty percent more expenses for racing, hotels, damage. You know, I think you'll find. Like, yeah, I think they pro rata that cost cap. So if they if they raise the amount of races, they'll get 
more budgeting, I guess. What happened I just, in the past? I, like, I think they, they... I think the F one like it, itself is contradicting itself at, at um at every turn at the moment just because their messaging is so mixed. Mm. I mean, even the idea of just going, yeah, we can run thirty races, um, like straight away is it's it's such a big jump. Apparently, I mean, we're about to hear about uh, Vegas is about to be launched or well, announced. Another track in Vegas. A track in Vegas. Why don't they do what Supercross do and have two series, a Western Conference and an Eastern <laughs> Conference, run two separate teams? What was the deal with Haas guys? Like, they mentioned mm-hmm. something about the fact that um, they were worried about Mick Schumacher binning another car so they wouldn't be able to run it. There's not enough, not enough spare parts because these so, cars are so new. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was just and, a, and, yeah. and that track, like, we saw that both Williams go. We saw multiple things happen. The, the likelihood of something happening was higher than any other track. So there's there's, there's no room for error on that track because it's it, mm. it's it's so tight. Um, and I think they just they just thought um, the yield for points in Melbourne was looking better than having him circulate in a somewhat restored car and then having another accident and leaving no parts for Melbourne. So it's just a uh, it's probably a smart decision, really. Anyway, uh, I doubt that he was in a. I thought he was, you know, feeling well enough to race anyway after an accident like that. That was a. It was huge, pretty quick. It was pretty huge quick. Impact. Huge impact. Um, okay, we've kind of been shooting the the, the <laughs> bull for a little bit on on Formula One. Um, so obviously, we don't have to wait too long for the Melbourne race. You know, ten days away from now, which is you know really exciting for us. Obviously, Sydney siders H will be there. In person to to give us the to bring COVID experience back. to give yeah it's exactly right <laughs> but to give us the on track experience but any to, to finish up about Formula One and any um, finishing talking points that you're looking forward to from uh, to or looking forward to see in Melbourne boys um, not really I think I'm just looking forward to see F1 back on track in Melbourne I mean it's, it's so hard to sort of gauge what we what, what to expect mm. other than uh, the battle between Mercedes, uh, uh, Red Bull and Ferrari at the moment. I mean, I'm just happy to see them back at Albert Park after, what is it, two years? Okay. First yeah, I agree. I think um, for me, I just want to see, I don't even know if I'll be able to watch it, to be honest. I think I'll be flying. But I, I just want to see um, fans packing a, a circuit out. You know, back in Australia, it's always good. I'd love to be there because I've never been there. Um, so I'd really hope that I can get there next year. Do you, reckon Harry? do you reckon they'll mob the track after like Buddy Franklin's a thousand score? I reckon it's going to be packed. Hey, what do you reckon, Harry? No, nah, there's a cap. There's a cap this year to allow for, but still, it's it's a huge it's a huge number. It's not like they capped it at ten thousand. Yeah, I think it's, it's ninety thousand. Is it ninety thousand? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a hundred, but yeah. What difference does it make? What I don't think it's the, the COVID. I think there's another say. there's another reason for it, isn't it? Not COVID. Is it a COVID cap? I think so. We're not packed in there like sardines, I guess. Fair enough. But um, I look at looking forward to seeing McLaren if they can make the jump. Like when I bought the tickets, McLaren were performing quite well in twenty twenty one. So <laughs> I'll be pretty upset if DR finishes outside the points. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully he gets a top ten finish. Imagine if you won. Um, oh, mate, I won't be coming back. That's for sure. Um, Pray for some rain. Actually, yeah. Mm. Do I want to be out in the rain, but just keep imagining, mate. The first race, the first race of the season. I think 
there used to be some there used to be a magic about it being the first race of the season. Be back. Yeah. I miss that. I, mean, I think it'll be back. That's a self-imposed sanction anyway. We've done that to ourselves, so don't complain yeah. too much about it. People. I'm also looking forward to seeing what the track does, the new the new layout, what it does to the racing. So that's a good point, actually. Hmm. Well, well, why don't we why don't we push it on on then with the other form of racing that we partook in over the weekend, which was the supercars uh, round two at Simmons Plain in Tasmania. Interesting weekend of racing. I think that if you were just to look at the um, oh, we just lost Mick. Was that he, by he left. He waved. Left. Oh, did he? Yeah. He just um, doesn't care about supercars. <laughs> okay, fair enough. If you were just to look at the, what a weekend. If you were just to look at the results, I don't think you'd think much of the weekend. But what an awesome weekend of racing it was in the supercars. I mean, for those of you that haven't watched it, Van Gisbergen had a clean sweep of the weekend, but we saw Feeney get his first podium. We saw Grove get back on uh, Grove the Racing, podium. get their first podium as Grove Racing, which was great to see. Tickford had a podium, even though they kind of struggled mightily over the weekend. And we and we saw some real struggles from the early season favourites out of um, WAU and, and Chaz Mostert. So, boys, where do we begin here? Let's talk about Andrew Edwards and Triple Eight because you made such a big deal about it last time, I reckon. All right, then. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they Shoot. looked they looked so unsung. I was thinking about you the whole weekend. I was just like, I wonder if Amp's watching this and thinking what I'm thinking. Um, only, the only race I missed was the second race because I had a blackout. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, we know how good AAA are at um at Simmons Plains and they and they did not miss a beat. I mean, I didn't expect them to because they they rolled they off the track play. with 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 no setup problems at all. Um and I mean, in quali- in qualifying, I th- um, when when they rolled out in qualifying, and they seemed to be the only big team that had literally no struggles. I thought, okay, this is going to be probably uh, a Giza, you know, sweep. I thought that mm. the moment they I saw their pace, but uh, it was the the thing that sort of surprised me was not surprised me because the track is such a, a in- interesting track for it. But when you qualify at the back, problems happen. So, like, we saw Walkinshaw and Tickford really shoot themselves in the foot this week. I mean, uh, Dick Johnson Racing had a pretty decent weekend as well. They, their cars had pretty decent pace. And I think we Will saw, Davison had a great week. Yeah, I mean, we spoke a bit critically about Will Davison last time about, like, what can he bring to the team in terms of um, pace and outshining out Anton. But I think this week he actually... Looked really good, um, going for the for the ahead in the season, um, and I think we saw some really good flashes from from like Grove, Matt Stone Racing had a few flashes, oh. even though they fucking shoot themselves in the foot every time. Even trip, um, Team Eighteen had a a few decent results. Um, I mean, there was enough. There was I enough think- good results um, spread around for I think all the teams to sort of get something out of it. I think most but, teams um, would have got something from it, but the problem was while they were all kind of um, following each other around to some extent, the reality was at the top, you know, Triple Eight was always there and the other teams were all squabbling, if that makes sense. So well, they Ere- maximised it. Erebus was um, oh, sort Erebus of struggled, yeah. had a struggle week, um, sort of like Warp and Troy as well, to be honest. They just couldn't lock in a, a decent setup that they could run. Mm. Um, and I was a bit surprised at that, to be honest. 
Um, what do you think? Well, you know, I, 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 as a fan, it was a difficult weekend to watch. I think if you if you didn't like um, if you didn't like Triple Eight Racing, I think if you watched Van Gisbergen and how how particularly coming out of the the back hairpin how much more hooked up that car was, how easy it was for him to turn that car, get it pointed and to, you know, make a huge run down that back straight. He, the car was just in a league of its own. So in that regard, it kind of, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have the most, you know, enthralling racing because it was, there was a level of predictability about what was happening in the racing. What but do you I think about his bump and runs? Uh, coming out of the hairpin. At first, well, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I was annoyed because I was, I was annoyed because probably he was doing it. But if you know Waters was to do the same thing and get away with it, I probably would have said, "What an amazing move!" So, objectively, I think it's good, good hard racing. Yeah. Waters defended it too today in, in an interview. Defended what? Because someone asked him. Someone asked him, "What do you think about?" The hard racing from Van Gisbergen, mm. and he said, "If that was me, I would have done the exact same thing." Yeah, and that's, I mean, what, I, and that's what I thought too. I think we, I think we saw a few examples during the weekend of when you do it badly, especially mm. like with Winterbottom. I think on um, like I don't Holdsworth. Uh, was it Holdsworth? Holdsworth? I mean, that's that sort of is a textbook of how not to do it. And Giza did it probably three times in in three laps or in in, in mm. a short span of time, and he, every time he got it on the mark. Um, so I mean, I thought it was definitely gamesmanship, but it was. I mean, we we love the the rubbing is racing and supercar. So I, I I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say about it because in 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 a vacuum, I would say it's fine. I mean, it's it's always a bit harder to to get your bearings on it when your team is involved. That's I wanted to hear what you wanted to say. Yeah, but, no, um, it annoyed me. Like it annoyed me in the moment. I'm like, I had an issue with it. Yeah. Then obviously, once you detach yourself from the fact that um, you know you've got any kind of vested interest in it, then it's you know, it, I, I was you know what I was telling. I was talking to Thomas came and watched the third race with me, and I said if I was pulling that move off in one of our sim races and someone had the shits at me for it, I'll tell them to shut up and keep racing. You probably do that anyway um, most of the time. Yeah, so. prob- probably. So I kind of thought you know. The move was clean enough. Like there was a bit of rubbing, but a bit of rubbing's fine. And the one thing that I kind of thought was interesting, though, is in the case of Van Gisbergen, Waters and Davidson gave like were very, very good in the space that they gave him. I felt like they could have, if they had have stayed on it and got hit, they very easily could have, you know, the car could have just gone in front of Van Gisbergen. Uh, and I think Holdsworth and, and Winterbottom um, was a little bit more like that, um, whereas they kind of gave him a bit more space. And the reality is if the car is that good, you know, entering and exiting that corner and you're able to get that kind of run, well, then more than, you know, the driver did a great job, but if the car's that hooked up and it, it was it looked easy and it, and it probably was pretty easy as well. So um, kudos to them. They really had it hooked up. Uh, they looked like they right back to their winning ways because Feeney had a phenomenal race as well. So obviously it was more than just, um, it was more than just uh, Van Kiesbergen having a good race, but um, you know, more of the same. Yeah, to them. I mean, I think um, definitely, I mean, what did you think, Harry, actually? Because you were um, pretty vocal on the chat about how you're enjoying this weekend. 
Yeah, look, I came into this weekend. I watched the TCR and S5000 around here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and when I saw that the supercars were going here, I thought, Jesus Christ, this track's tiny. How are these massive supercars going to go around here? I did not think it would be conducive to good racing, and it was freaking awesome. Um, yeah. I, I was really, I was genuinely surprised because there's not much to that track. No. No. But but I think it is that the size of it means that the field is so bunched up that there's something happening all the time. Um, the, I think one of the craziest things I saw was, uh, I think it was Waters and Slade. Slade. Um, after the hairpin down that straight, that's not a straight. Yeah. Um, and Waters bumped him a bit. And man, that car could have flipped so easily at that speed. Roll, yeah. Um, but also, like the, the reaction of everyone, like Waters and who else was around to break. And let him go over the track again. Um, yeah, that was, uh, was an awesome bit of driving. I, don't oh, I loved that. it. That what incident you... really disappointed me, to be honest. And it's not probably not for the reasons that mo- it would disappoint most people. But I feel like as a team, sort of Tickford needed to maximise this round because last round they had a shocker. And um, in the first race, uh, Water showed he had decent pace. He qualified on what pole ended up coming fourth or third. Yeah. And then I thought, all right, even though he's not in the top three in this second race, um, like he def- he was definitely in the wrong in that, sort of pushing Tim Do you out. reckon he was in the wrong? I think, he sh- I think once you get that far across the track, you're in the wrong, yeah. He did the same thing to Van Gisbergen, you know. Who? Exactly the same thing. Who? Waters. Yeah, well, then he's in the wrong twice. But this time, Slady didn't want to give up. He was, he was definitely up far enough. For him to 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 earn that room, um, but I just Get think off. like I think in terms of like when you look back on it, that totally ruined his race. Like there's no doubt about it that ruined his race. He probably had a top five there, and he he got dropped back to where where did he end up like sixteenth, yeah. So so nothing points. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Because I, I I just thought, man, what are you doing? Like you, I thought you it was need to back some points. No, I don't I think it was, it was harsh. I don't, I don't know if there was a drive-through penalty in it. Why? What else are you going to get for something like that? You ruined Slady's race. But it was, it's, it's, I thought it was kind of a situation where it was just a racing incident. They both, we, they both, you know, were you probably would because you love, you love that kind of move in the Sims. <laughs> I, I feel that Waters may have seen a bit of the red mist at that point because yeah. he's shut him off. He's pushed him off the track, but there's a little jink. Of the Tickford, that that that's what pushes Slade off, and it was like he just saw red and and made the move and didn't even think about it. That's that's the impression I got. Well, after the after the the race, he was definitely not remorseful at all. And he, <laughs> he there was one part when he said like I definitely left him enough room. I was like, man, you need to watch the replay because there wasn't enough room there at all. Uh, I mean, the the thing with that track is if once you get the inside on that hairpin, you've got You've got the advantage. Even, I mean, I didn't even know what side drafting was till this weekend. Yeah, and then, same. And then, um, what's you his name? NASCAR? Yeah, but I never really understood no. what it was. Like, no one's ever drawn a picture like Larko did. But then Larko draws his the awesome basic pictures, his, his basic pictures, and it just it just opens oh. the eyes the eyes of us plebs about what he's talking about. Like, so he, good. He cracked me up every time he tried to change the screen. It was still in the text tone. He's getting the shits about it. <laughs> um. But the thing is, moving forward, that track is such an anomaly, really, of the season. 
Um, and th- like, he, he, do you know what I was thinking about as well? We were talking like a couple of weeks ago about adding more cars onto the grid. I think if you add more cars onto the grid, that track won't survive because that thing is such a such a um, a mess at the best of times. Mm. I really, I, I really think I don't know why they don't run that qualifying system that they were try. They were using a couple, um, yeah, the two tiers years ago when they had the two tiers because the qualifying on that track is such um, chaos. Yeah, such chaos. I mean, it's awesome in terms of. You don't know where you're going to end up, but I don't. I th- I think it's so easy for cars not to get a good run in because of accidents. Number one, um, just like yellow flags and all that kind of stuff. Um, in their defence, though, there were three different pole sitters. Like that's pretty awesome over the weekend. Yeah, it's awesome. But I, I mean, it's, it's I'm not complaining about it like that much. I'm just saying like there's mm. they they've run this system before, and I feel like on track uh, it was it's built for tracks like that. Where there's not really enough room. What is it? 50, 50 seconds spread between 27, 26, 25 cars. So it's like you got two seconds of space max. I just think um, for stuff like that, there might be a bit of room for um, inventiveness when it comes to qualifying as well. They tried it in the past. The only issue that they had was with the, um, the fact that if one group has a better, you know, track scenario, amount of UV on the track and things like that, they had the qualifying still set up so that it was based off of the times when they were amalgamated. So maybe it might be something like in NASCAR where you split them in half based on their practice times. But then if you qualify first, um, you know, if you qualify first in one group and first in the second, that kind of sets up the different rows of the grid. So that way, regardless of if the track surface has a different feeling and you know one whole group can perform better than the other group that goes out it's still not going to affect like you're still qualifying relative to you know your position as opposed to doing two separate groups and then amalgamating their times in one big chart no i'm talking talking about the one when they base when 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 the um qualifying group is set of practice so if you qualify in the top 15 in 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 practice oh, the moto gp setup yeah like the one they run with that then you have the bottom 10 qualify bring some in because then the track the track um temperatures have nothing to do with it mm. um i yeah, mean that- I, I think i think the, the the thinking is they're trying to save sets of tires i mean that's what the only thing that can that i can really think of it but um yeah i mean in realistically that track is like nothing else in the season and we see like between first and twentieth, there's like two and a half tenths in qualifying, which is which is insane. Then also you see like race two, Chaz qualifies eighteenth, and um, moves up to fourth. And then he moves up to fourth just on on um, race pace. You know what I mean? Like so, in terms Have of he used up to- a lot of tires in that race, but no, I mean. He used up not the normal sets of tires. He just had good pace. I mean, the th- in the first race, he had good pace as well. He was he sort of got um, stuck in that incident between Winterbottom and Holdsworth, mm. which he would he was, he was on pace to move ahead and probably get fifth or fourth in that race. Mm. And then the third race, he got re-ended um, in the opening laps, and then he never had pace after that. I mean, I don't know if it was um, there was something damaged in the. Yeah, I mean, who knows what it is, but that's 
that's the price you pay for starting in the in, in the backfield, really. Mm. Um, I mean, even Percat, they, they both got hampered in qualifying because of the a flag got thrown. But even Percat moved up from 21st to 10th. So the cars had race pace. They just didn't have enough um, qualifying set up. And they're notoriously bad at that track anyway. But, um, I mean, the weekend that Triple Eight had, you can't let them, like if you're if you're a team that's trying to push to get to the top, you can't you, let can't, them have it. you can't let them have it without at least consolidating a decent amount of points for yourselves. You know what I mean? And you know what was also disappointing. I thought, um, particularly in race three, I thought Anton really had a good chance to take the race to Van Gisbergen. But then when he when Giz, I don't know what happened to Anton on his push laps after his pit stop or Van Gisbergen himself, but Coming out of the pits, it wasn't even nearly really that close. So, those that they, I have to, you have to just say the Triple Eight team really just had a, you know, a pinpoint weekend all around. Um, Executed you, everything perfectly. Yeah, and you just have to give them kudos to that. They did, you know, everything that was expected from them, um, and and based on their past history. So, frustrating as it might be for us fans, you just got to tip the cap to that. Looking forward though, I think the interesting thing is going to be. Obviously, Supercars goes back to Melbourne for the first time in a long time. That's four 100-kilometer races. So really short races. Tickford have been very competitive there in the past. WAU have been very competitive there in the past. Um, Obviously, Dick Johnson as well has been very competitive there in the past. So there's a lot of the top performing teams that have got fairly recent success at Albert Park. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to take the the um, the race to Triple Eight, obviously, um, but also it's just great to see those cars, you know, moving on the Grand Prix circuit, and with the changes that there obviously are to the track layout as well, I think you're going to see a lot more, particularly for the supercars that are so, I don't want to say drag dependent, but you know where slipstreaming is so available and accessible, particularly around the back of that track you might actually see a few um, lunging moves going into those last couple of corners, which will make think, for great racing. I think that the track changes will be worse for the supercars because you're losing uh, one good op- um, um, dive bomb opportunity for them. But you can also, um, but they're also building one really long streaming opportunity. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose so. Before we move there quickly, I just wanted to sort of talk about um, a few of the honourable mentions from this weekend. Mm. I mean, I wanted to sort of discuss Hazelwood number one, and MSR. Hazel, Hazelwood and MSR showed so much promise. And he, the, the thing was, LeBrock, LeBrock did LeBrock things. You know, he, 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 I mean, he qualified good. And then he, here's the thing I don't know. I don't know if that car was set up properly for the race three. Surely because, not. Though. Surely not. It yeah. was literally a, a, it was literally a, a, you know, waving the magic wand and hoping it stuck. And they were oh. saying that during the race that there wasn't even aligned, it wasn't balanced. So oh, the fact oh, oh, he, oh. He, I would say that he didn't do Woodbrook things because he got off the line like a demon. Yeah, fair enough. Well, he did everything well, he could to set up for that race. Well, I from thought. this from this weekend, I thought we saw really good things from um, Matt Stone Racing, like like promise of things that they definitely haven't showed for like. Like they're, they're looking really competitive in that midfield. Um, Grove look 
like they've taken a step forward as well, mm. which was really good. And um, I mean, they, they're running a, a new driver in Holdsworth who looks like he's coming along as well. I mean, the, the one I couldn't understand was Heimgart because Heimgart, he, he showed so much pace in the first two rounds and he keeps getting caught up in these problems. And I don't really want to blame him for the one with him and LeBrox that looked a bit like a racing incident. But um, I mean, if you're if you're Brad not Jones, helping them. yeah, you're, you're, he's not helping them. He's not helping himself because he's definitely shown so much more potential than what he what the points tally he's mm. got this year has sort of um, it would indicate. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Because well, I think the point you made about MSR is great. I think they're kind of showing that as a team, they're coming of age. They're definitely not there just to fill up the numbers anymore. And I think the same can be said for um, premier racing as well. Obviously they haven't shown the same level of like the same heights yet, but they definitely aren't at the bottom. And there is, you can already see a progression from what tick from what techno was doing over the last couple of years. And they've only had two races and they're a totally new team. So for them to be that, um, I don't want to say switched on at this stage because they still got a ways to go, but for them to be in and around, in and around, you know, the top 15, let's say, is an improvement. And, you know, they've got um, J- Jacobson and Pither, um, and they're kind of really, I thought they're kind of showing some of their best, you know, racing. I think especially been in their category. Yeah. Like he, he surprised so me this weekend with the pace he was showing. So that's really good to see. Um, but I think MSR particularly have to be, you know, uh, really happy with with where they're at. And the interesting thing is going to be, in the past, we saw Walkinshaw, Tickford, if they had an off day, an off day for them might be 10th. And then you, yeah. it's, it's very easy to to fix it up in the race and pull out a top five. But I think we saw Mostert, we saw Waters, all in qualifying, had a bad qualifying session, and they're back in 18th. And it's, it makes it a lot harder because, I mean, those teams that have improved themselves um, are becoming a little bit more challenging. And I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing is that unless Brad Jones as a team, obviously they've got four cars, either they consolidate, I think, and move to less cars with better quality drivers or with those third and fourth cars, um, they need to be thinking about hopefully improving the the driver lineup at the back end because right now, they're pulling up the rear of the field. What about um? I mean, I don't like bad mouthing drivers really, but I think Jake Kostecki has had. He's probably, had a lot of bad luck. Though, but it's, he's it's had a lot of few, bad. It's induced. It's induced. I mean, self-induced. He's had probably the worst start of the year, especially for for a car that's pretty decent. Mm. I mean, the, he's the worst of the Tickford fleet, and not even Randall's a rookie. Randall's a rookie and it's not even close, really. I mean, Courtney's showing pretty good stuff like um, for someone who's sort of at the end of their career. I mean, I, I wouldn't even move on from him because he's showing to be the second best car in that fleet at the well, moment. I, I said it last week. I, I said I don't really expect anything from Randall all year. He'll have a kind of up and down year that's to be expected. He's had uh, are a- we, have we got the same sort of expectations for him that we would have for Feeney just a bit lower because of the no. car he's in. No, we're, like, we're not expecting wins from Feeney. We're just expecting consistency. We're just expecting consistency from Randall yeah, as well. Yeah, I think, well, I think Feeney, because he's in the top, like his AAA is by far the... Top dog. 
top dog and the and and the car is at a point where it's you know he should be getting podiums and things like that tick fitter in a bit of a precarious situation where the team is not performing that well and you've got waters and to an extent courtney i think outperforming the car slightly so the fact that i saw you know randall did some ordinary things this weekend he also got a top 10 in race three um and looked you know pretty comfortable so he's showing improvement over the course of the weekend as well but there's no excuse for Kostecki to be behind Randall and as far as I'm concerned if that continues that's I think it's a one and done season for for him in a half decent team so uh, as in for the series or just for Tickford no for for Tickford okay Tickford I mean I think with the sponsorship he has and the name that he has he'd probably find himself um, another drive Um, but you know, not at Tickford perhaps because they really need to be, you know, having drivers. They're going to push them up the field. Um, but, yeah. Okay. All right. Now looking forward, we're going to Melbourne. Um, it's, the, it's another weird it, it's another weird weekend because the races are so short. I mean, qualifying is vitally important at this race as well because there's no pit not, stops in these races, right? Like no, 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 no mandatory ones. No, there's no. I don't think there's pit stops, no. um, and it's not an easy place to um, pass either, really. Um, so there's like you definitely say like if Walkinshaw and Tickford want to sort of get to challenge Triple Eight, they definitely need to, you know, qualify better. And I, I don't really have a, I don't think. Um, Chaz will have a problem qualifying well. He's pretty handy around there. But just in terms of, um, you know, bouncing back, I think like Waters and, and, and Chaz, who, who we sort of take for granted are the two guys other than um, uh, Triple Eight and Dick Johnson racing as um, in that like sort of power six, definitely will need to, um, you know, the teams need to sort of, rollout of the trucks as, as good as they can because it, well, the, the same problem is going to be there as this week. They're not going to have that much um, time to practice and they're going to need to be dialed in pretty pretty quick. One thing that they do have on their side is that both the car and the drivers have got good street track form. They've got good Albert Park form and hopefully it's just a matter of them getting dialed in early and the reality is if they're there or thereabouts, I mean, I think we've seen it from both Chaz and Kim, they will ring an extra few tenths of performance out of the car. Um, and, you know, hopefully, yeah, hopefully for them, it's, um, it's something that or the weekend itself is something that can be, you know, beneficial because right now, if Van Gisbergen, you know, has, he's got four races, that's a lot of points up for grabs. And if he's able to dominate again, and he sets himself up very well early in this championship, and it could look very similar to what it did last year. So there needs to be a reaction. Um, and we're not talking about Dick Johnson racing, but Deep Pasquale also has to um, react to this as well. Like he has to be able to, to try to peg some points back too. So all three of them really need to kind of show some resolve. Yeah. Well, you're going to be their trackside, H. Are you looking forward to seeing them whiz around Albert Park? I am actually. Um, Are you going to be one... there, going there every day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've already told the missus. <laughs> Organise some shopping trips or something because I'll be there from start to finish every day. So 
Dawn's looking forward cross. to seeing all of it actually because S5000 are going to be there. There's going to be so much good racing happening. So, really looking forward to it. Good stuff. Um, anything else you want to touch on for the supercars there? No, I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about supercars and Formula One in 10 days' time. So, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, but, gents, again, thanks for your time. It's always good talking to you. I've got an hour and a half of, of, of audio in the can, which is always a good podcast. And, you know, thanks everyone again for listening. So please um, keep following us on our show socials. I mean, the socials have started to take off a little bit this year, H, which is good to, good to see. So please like, subscribe, share, keep spreading the word. Give us um, a rating and, on, on your podcast platform. Yeah, please interact with us. Send us your questions as well. Um, and hopefully over the next couple of days we'll have some Sean's trackside footage to share with you as well from our from our head of head of media social, head of media that's the one alright guys thanks for your time have a great night thanks, thanks man guys. have a good one see you man take care <laughs>